This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. If you were to go to the shelf right now and look for the, uh, the Mick Ultra can or the Budweiser cans or Miller Coors or any of these guys, and you look on the inside of this finished seam, you will see, uh, invariably, you will see the, the dimples, what they call marker chucks. This week on the show, some real-world can seamer troubleshooting, courtesy of the award-winning technical brewing forum known as Ask the Brewmasters. Hey, I'm David Garib with Preferred Seamer Service. I am in Jacksonville, Florida. All right, David, I feel like you're kind of the can seamer industry's equivalent of Harvey Keitel's character, Winston Wolf and Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. So <laughs> here's what I want to do. I'm going to read and ask the brewmaster's post about can seamer, quote, ghost dimpling. And then you're going to troubleshoot the issue and tell us what's going on. Sound good? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Okay, so here's the post. Hello, all. We have an Ang- Angelus 4V seamer at our brewery. All four of our seaming chucks are dimpled to stamp a signature on the finished lid and indicate which head it was seamed by for troubleshooting and traceability purposes. Recently, we noticed that the chucks on all four stations have been double or triple dimpling the lids. It's still clear what the head, what head they are seamed by, but something is obviously wrong and causing this. I've heard it referred to as, quote, ghost dimpling, but there may be a different term for it. All of our seaming rolls were replaced earlier this year. They spin freely and are greased regularly. The chucks are relatively new as well. Has anyone seen this before and identified a root cause that they were able to correct and eliminate the issue? All right, so that's the post, the original post there. So, and I don't know if I mentioned, but that that came from a... um, a packaging manager at a, at a rather large brewery. Um, I, I, David, I guess first things first, we've already covered this on episode 184, but it feels like maybe we should give listeners at least a quick overview of how can seamers work, 
before troubleshooting this issue. I know that's a little tricky to do without visuals, but do you want to give it a shot? Sure, sure. So there are a couple of types of can seamers out there, but what this particular poster is referring to is a rotary can seamer. Uh, the can essentially gets filled. It comes across a can feed transfer chain, and then it gets into the can seamer where it goes on what's called a lower lifter. And then that lower lifter lifts the can into place, simultaneously putting a lid on it. And once that lifter gets it and gets in position into the turrets, it begins the spinning process. As it spins around through the first phase or the first operation roll, it actually interlocks the lid in the can as it spins around the seamer. And then that roll comes out and the second operation roll comes in and irons it out to its finished dimension. Where then the lifter hits a cam and then it goes down into the discharge turret under the discharge conveyor. Uh, so it's a pretty, pretty fast process, a lot of precise parts. What's the typical speed of, a, of this type of unit? I mean, how many cans a minute are we talking here probably? Uh, rotary can seamers are as slow as uh, the rotary. They're as slow as about 80 to 100 cans a minute. Now, when we talk about cans per minute or cans per hour in our industry, we typically are referring to 12 ounce or 355s, right? So if you're, you're filling less than that, they're going to be a little bit faster. If you're filling like 16 ounce or 19.2s, it's different. But we're always referring to cans per minute in terms of 12 ounce filling and seaming. Okay. Uh, that can be anywhere from 100 cans a minute up to the 18 head can seamers that you'll find at the breweries, the big breweries, the big guys, or Coke or Pepsi, uh, Dr. Pepper, Keurig, these guys. And those can be 2,100, 2,200 cans a minute, uh, upwards of 30, 37 cans a second. It's been a lot of years since I did any canning, so I wasn't familiar with this concept of stamping a signature on a lid. I don't know how common that is. Why don't you tell us more about that? So it's sure it's, it's common at the big breweries. Uh, so if you look, uh, in fact, if you were to go to the shelf right now and look for the, uh, the Mick Ultra can or the Budweiser cans or Miller Coors or any of these guys, and you look on the inside of this finished seam, you will see, uh, invariably, you will see the, the dimples, what they call marker chucks. And there's a key card uh, that you use to line up basically your two base dimples. And then where the key card is, is, uh, it has hash marks for head one, two, three, four, and so on, depending on how big your seamer is. And then that way it can tell you which one of the dimples and represents uh, or refers to which seaming head it is. So you'll find it on the big guys. You won't typically find it um, in the soft drink, what we call the CSD. So the Cokes and Pepsis of the world don't typically use them with the exception of a marker chuck on number one only. But that's for a different, that's for a different reason. What is that reason? So, yep. So then we put a marker chuck on number one so they can stop in order or in the line. They can stop and pull the seam check. And the, what they do is they stop the cans on the discharge turret. And then they keep all of these cans in order, take them back to the lab. And then they go through these cans that are lined up in order and they find uh, head number one with a dimple. And then they reorder the cans in the appropriate order for their seam checks. And that just keeps them from having to open the doors on the on the seamer and see which lifter it's coming off of and then count back and then tell the person pulling the seam check, okay, it's coming. That's number two right there. And then count back. So it's just a, a quicker way to do it. And why don't they, why doesn't the soda industry care about, you know, which head any given can came from? It seems like that would still be useful to them and in, in troubleshooting and whatnot. It is useful. Um, 
it's 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 hard to say why they don't do it. Um, the CSDs, the carbonated soft drink industry, and then what we well in our business we call it beer and beverage. Beer is of course beer, and beverage is pretty much everything else. Uh, carbonated soft drinks, uh, beverage industry has just done it differently. Um, if you look at your seam guidelines or your seam spec sheets, I don't care who it's from. Down in the lower half of the page, you'll see a note section that says chuck anvil modifications are not recommended. And that's what they're referring to. They're referring to the the chuck anvil, the seaming chuck, not having a dimple in it. That's a chuck anvil modification. So most of them just haven't adopted it. Okay, cool. And it also creates an issue too. So if you have a, a broken chuck or if you have to replace a seaming chuck, say on a 12 or 18 head seamer, and you don't have that exact marker chuck, well, now you have uh, just a regular chuck, let's say on head number 10, and all the other chucks are numbered. Right. Okay. So that's that's another reason as well is interchangeability. All right. Um, okay. So it sounds like in this case, uh, our poster um, who's got this problem. It sounds like in his case, all of that's working fine. They can still tell you know which head did the seaming, but it's happening two or three times instead of once. Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's going on is is the can's actually slipping in the chuck. So. ideally the way you want it to work is the can goes up it has enough axial load enough pressure on it that it spins freely when that second operation comes in it doesn't slip if it slips in that chuck just a little bit radially then that dimple will get put into the uh, the seam in another spot where it actually re-engaged so let's just say it slips radially by a three-eighths of an inch and then it re-engages and continues to spin properly now you've got not one but you have two dimples right next to each other and the one dimple is not going to be quite as as deep as the original one right that makes sense okay you responded that the um as you just said, as this, you responded that the seaming chucks were slipping during the second operation, you know, right away, you could tell that, but you asked some questions to get to the root cause. Let's go through those together. But first I'm wondering, is it strange that this was happening on all four of their seaming chucks? Did that tell you anything specific? It did. It told me immediately that they didn't have uh, enough either spring pressure or pin height. Um, that was allowing the can to stay engaged during the seaming cycle. So that if you have all four of them slipping is, is usually pretty rare. Coming up. These, these um, lids were never designed to be seamed and driven by the chuck walls. They're designed to be, to be driven down on the lower part of the lip down into the countersink. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going. And that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. This episode is brought to you by our friends at BSG, who invite you to experience one of the newest hops from their hop solutions line, HS Grove. 
Developed for hop forward beer styles, HS Grove boasts incredible biotransformation qualities, giving you the power to transform your next IPA into a stone fruit powerhouse. Choose HS Grove for West Coast IPA, New England IPA, Double IPA, American Pale Ale, or any beer style where delicious fresh fruit aromatics are desired. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top-quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Midwest meets December 2nd at Royal Docks Brewhouse in Cannery. District Rocky Mountain meets December 6th at Leopold Brothers in Denver. Don't miss Yakima Chief's December 7th webinar, Unlock the Transformative Power of a Sensory Program. There's another webinar December 12th for adjunct brewers called Rice for Beer, Brewing Principles and Techniques. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. Don't miss the January 10th webinar, Brewing in a Beer with SmartBev Near Yeast, a craft brewer's perspective. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. The District Great Plains annual meeting is February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. Okay. 
Okay, and that the, that brings us to the, the various questions you asked. So you asked you asked which which lids they were running. You asked if their seaming chucks were um, TINI coated, which I, I believe is that is that titanium nickel. What is that? It's a titanium nitride coating. Nitride, right? Nitride. Mm-hmm. And then um, you also asked about, as you said, the seamer pin height and the lower lift spring pressure. Uh, Walk us through the responses that we got there and um, sort of kind of, you know, what it told you. And, and also maybe tell us a little bit about that titanium nitride coating. What's the purpose of that? It's it's like most things in titanium coating. It's a titanium coating that goes on the, uh, the regular tooling, uh, depending on what the substrate is. Uh, different tooling manufacturers have their own proprietary blends of metals. Uh, oftentimes, they have cobalt, stainless steel, and whatnot in them, or maybe some nickel. But uh, this is a coating that allows for hardness, and a machine properly set up with titanium nitride-coated tooling uh, with with proper lubrication and ceramic ball bearings. I mean, that tooling, you can seam 30 to 40 million cans per station. So on a forehead seamer, you should get 150 million cans before you do a, a, a tooling change. So it's really just about longevity. Okay. And is that why you asked? Because you just wanted to know sort of like, are, are we working with a, a chuck that's worn out or is going to, is you know, got a lot of life left in it? So here's here's the downside to titanium nitride coated tooling is the chucks uh, can they they can they don't have as much grip as what we call a studi or a flame plated or a CVD chuck which is a chemical vapor uh, deposition chuck they're they're more they're more rough but the titanium nitride is a more slip finish uh, and as they get worn a little bit they'll actually get shiny. And what that shininess means is it's slipping in in the uh, in the seaming process, and mm-hmm. they get to where they just don't grab nearly as well. So, yeah, that's why I asked if they were running tie, you know, tie night. We call them tie night for short, tie night chucks, or if they were running uh, one of the others. Okay, I'm trying to understand what the wear was like. Yeah, makes sense. And so they also reported they were running a two hundred two CDL plus lid. What did that tell you? So prior to. About 10, 12 years ago, actually, it's been out for 25 years, uh, all the lids that were pretty much made were called LOE, large opening end, also known as the B64 lid. So that's got a different chuck wall design and geometry. The CDL lid, CDL Plus, whether it's CDLE, the Crown Super End, and Metal Containers Olaf uh, lid, those are all what we call lightweighted lids, and they have different geometries on the chuck wall. Those lids, just by their design, do not have the what we call the drive or the driving characteristics to help spin the can as, as, as well as the original LOE. Now, a lot of folks are still running the LOE lid, um, and, but those, those lids drive a lot better. And because of the geometry of the chuck wall on those lightweighted ends, in this case, even CDL Plus, great lid, by the way, but it does have some driving uh, characteristics on the chuck wall. Which by design, these these um, lids were never designed to be seamed and driven by the chuck walls. They're designed to be to be driven down on the lower part of the lip, down into the countersink. So they do tend to slip a little more if you don't have your machine set up right, or if you have some worn chucks. 
All right, well, let's get into the the seamer pin height and the spring pressure. So I'm trying to look at, he said that they had their, um, uh, he said that their, their um, spring pressure was somewhere between 115 and 120 PSI. Um, and he wasn't sure about the pin height. Is pin height really what ends up being the, the, the culprit here, you think, or, or something else? I think it was a combination of pin height because the lower lifter spring pressure was, was pretty good. It was pretty robust. And on that type of machine, usually around 110 to 115 is what they'll run. Uh, which people have to remember is the, the lower lifters are adjustable. The spring pressures are adjustable, right? And that's how we get it. And there's a way to measure it with a force cell gauge. Uh, the difference is, is you have different can seamer manufacturers. They don't all run the same spring necessarily. So his spring pressures to me looked like they were pretty good. So that's why we went to pin height. So there's two ways to get axial load on the can. So if you envision... You envision your can inside your seamer. If you take the top of the head of that machine and you bring that head of that machine down lower and lower, you compress the can more, right? Right. And that'll help to give you more drive. Conversely, if your pin height is good, you don't necessarily want to compress the can that way. There's another way to get more drive, and that's through the lower lifter. And what you can do is go in and, and tighten up that spring a little bit, increase the pressure. The downside to that is now you might be loading that can up too fast or just putting too much spring pressure on it and then you can get a wrinkle in the can. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a dance. It's it's a fine line. Um, but but yeah, if you have too much pin height and it's too high or you have too low or spring pressure or worn seaming chucks, that can can slip. It could just slip just a little bit in that second operation and give you it's either what we call a deadhead or a skitter, where you have an unfinished seam. Or it skids just enough where you get that dimple, that ghost dimple. Your seam is still good, but it does tell you that you have a problem in there that you know you, you may need to you need to address sooner rather than later. And and I believe you pointed out too that you know for a lot of the craft brewers out there that aren't going to have the the dimpling, uh, you know this could be occurring and you may not really even be aware of it, right? That's right. So especially if you have a you know machine like you say, if it doesn't have it doesn't have a marker chuck at all unless you really have your eye tuned to the inside of the chuck wall of your finished seam and you see a little, I don't know, just a little witness marker, a little scrape in there. That's from a, a chuck that's slipping. Okay. Um, so it's just kind of like a, a slight streak on the inside, right? That's right. That's right. And there's there's another way to get that's more common for these um these slipping chucks too. And it's some of these machines that have non-driven lower lifters. And that's where the lower lifter doesn't have, it's not driven. It just spins along with the can. So now all the driving is being done from the top chuck. Okay. How common is that? Not as you're seeing it in some of these rotary Chinese, a lot of these rotary Chinese machines do not have driven lower lifters. Okay. So, all right. and they're, they're sold under a few different names, but um, they're all pretty much made in the same area by the same, same manufacturers over in I think Guangdong, China, but uh, they're non-driven. They're just free spinning. And if you don't get the, uh, the pin height set just right on those, you'll, you'll get a lot of, a lot of slipping. Any other uh, can seeming issues you're seeing a lot of that you'd like to say something about? The only thing that really stands out for me any, uh, lately is just a lot of wrinkled cans. And that's usually, like I say, either pin height or lower lifters uh, with the springs. 
a lot of people are hesitant to go in and, and you know, make some adjustments that uh, they don't have the right uh, gauges to to check it. But um, just just make sure your pin height's right. I would say wrong pin height is 90% of, of craft brewers' problems. That was David Garib here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for a direct link to the original Ask the Brewmasters post that inspired this episode. And if you've got slipping seamer chucks, be sure to check the pictures in that post, which might help you quite a lot. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, Let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.